Welcome to the 43rd episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and alongside me, I have my co-host and executive chef, Adrian Pinter. How does it go, sir? General Kenobi, it goes quite well. How art thou? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. This is going to be quite the episode. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We've watched a lot of movies this week. We got the Oscars on Sunday. We're Recording this on Saturday, of course, like we usually do for a Monday release. But that means that we're basically splicing in the news story about the Oscars midway through the episode, which is kind of interesting. A different way that we've done these podcasts in the past. But I think it's important to talk about the Oscars the night after or the day after the Oscars, because again, we released this episode on Monday and the Oscars were yesterday, I guess, if you're listening to this on Monday. So... Yeah, I think that that's kind of neat and is a different way to do that. So just excuse us, audience, if we're talking about a movie that's won an award and we don't reference the fact that it's won that award until we get to the news story specifically about the Oscars, in which case then we're going to go ham on talking about all of the different awards that were won and whether or not my predictions were correct or yours were. Mm, You mean the predictions we made on our Closer Look episode that came out this past Friday? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. You can watch that now. Actually, it's obviously live on any podcasting service, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, just the same as you could listen to all other 42 episodes that we've launched so far. Hmm. How are you, Adrian? How has your week been? Um, It's been quite a doozy, my friend. I don't want to get too deep into it, but uh, I got a COVID test done yesterday. Still no results back. Um, I'm a a little bit sick. I, I have a little bit of a cough that I received um, about a day or two after my mother started feeling very sick. Oh, um, so we both got our COVID tests done yesterday, still waiting our results. So, I mean, um, that's fun. It's very uncomfortable getting that test done. It feels like they're pouring pool water into your nose for about five seconds straight. That's probably the best way I can explain the sensation when they stick up that swab right deep into your nostril. Um, so pretty uncomfortable. I mean, I've had a, uh, yeah, th- this cough is kind of annoying the hell out of me. I'm hoping that it's nothing more than just like a regular cold or something like that. But who knows? Maybe I'll maybe have a to seasonal allergy, perhaps. It's possible. I don't really get allergies, though. I'll, I'll Coughing, be I don't know if it's a, is it really that common of a symptom for a seasonal allergy. I'm just, you know, hoping for the best here. Yeah, me too. So we'll see where that goes. Um, don't have too many other symptoms. Like I don't have much of an appetite more than usual, which is unfortunate. Like all I ate today, like I, I honestly, I just haven't been hungry. I haven't been really craving anything. So I forced a clementine down my gullet, which is delicious. Oh. I love clementines. Some vitamin C action, and then uh, I made uh, just tuna salad. I just made it like a tuna salad sandwich, and that went down pretty easily. I see. I can taste food. I can still smell things. So again, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm a little sick, unfortunately, a little under the weather. I'm sorry to hear that. Mm, dude, it's life. That. It's life. How about you, man? How are you? I'm pretty good. I actually do have seasonal allergies. My symptoms are not coughing. I am having very itchy eyes. They're very dry. 
And yesterday I was playing a video game and just like in the first hour, I was like, is this the screen? Is the screen doing this to me? And I remembered afterwards that I do have allergies every year with the springtime. So that's likely what it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that. It's not that bad. It's mm. it's no cough. Uh, it's none of the symptoms that you seem to be having. I'm, I'm just kind of annoyed by them. It's, it's just a nuisance more than anything else. Yeah. My mom definitely has it worse than I do. Like she had a fever, pretty bad cough, um, like stomach aches and stuff like that, nausea. So she definitely had a, a few more symptoms than I have. But Did she seemed to be coming out of it. Yeah, yeah, she seems to be recovering slowly but surely, like still hacking up a lung. Like she's probably coughing right now, but uh, she's doing all right. Otherwise, no more fever, thankfully. Oh, OK, that's good. At least. Yeah. I mean, I'm no doctor, of course. I just, I'm just concerned. I mean, you are, yeah. But. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. Okay. Um, real quick, I remember you, um, you recommended a place called Coco's Chicken last week. Coco's I did. Chicken. Yeah, I did. I unfortunately couldn't get it. Uh, I was going to. Oh, uh, what? Uh, I was going to. However, like I, I planned to buy it after work one day. However, they stop, I guess, making food after six, and I was working until like six fifteen or something like that. Six thirty. Oh, okay. So instead, I went to this place called Renegade Chicken. This is obviously prior to me having any COVID symptoms. I do you want to clarify? Um, so I got this, I got this, uh, yeah, Nashville chicken sandwich from this place called Renegade Chicken. Super weird. It's actually in the Jack Astors, this Renegade Chicken place. It's like within it. What do you mean it's in it? It's like it, they, it's their, its own separate business that runs through Jack Astors Kitchen. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. I was super confused. I made my, uh, DoorDash order. I drove there and it's like a Jack Astors. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I literally called and I'm like, I don't know if I'm tripping right now, but like I'm in front of a Jack Astors and I'm pretty sure I ordered Renegade chicken like you guys. And then like, no, oh, no, like we're, we're actually run through here. It's all good. I'm like, OK, cool. Long story short, it was pretty good. Not bad. Not bad chicken. Not bad. That's that's their that should be their tagline. Yeah. Renegade chicken. Not yeah. bad chicken. Not bad. That's exactly it. It's uh, it's better than like your average, like just fast food chicken place but it's not like out of the park good like what kind of food did you get from there again a nashville chicken sandwich like the the spicy uh yes the nashville chicken sandwich yeah you, you did say that uh, what else did you get with it though anything as a side so i got that um and then they had like lattice fries which i love so i got those like lattice fries little waffle fries mm. yeah yeah um that's what uh, coco's has coco's has uh waffle fries that's what yeah. they offer with their popcorn chicken the waffle fries are on the up and up, man. More, more and more places are serving it. I like the waffle fry, but honestly, I have to be in the right mood for it. And it's very easy to undercook a waffle fry. Like you go to places like Cineplex. The Cineplex on the south end here in Guelph, whenever you order waffle fries, it's rarely crispy. Whereas you order the regular fries at the Woodlawn location. Those are always crispy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah. get what you're saying. Get what you're saying. Anyways, that's it. Sorry to, sorry to talk about food, but hey, man, we got to keep on talking about it. That's every week now. This is also a film and TV and what we ate podcast. It's also mm -hmm. so it's like we ate what we ate twice mm -hmm. and film and TV. Correct. The priority is what we ate, but also we talk about film and TV. Is that what you're saying to the old and new people who have never listened to this podcast before? Exactly. And the bulk of the content in this is the thing that we don't even really care care about film and TV. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Speaking of film and TV, what have you been watching this week, Adrian? Well, my friend, uh, like you said at the top of the show, I've watched quite a few things. Um, just to prep for the Oscars, um, I want to talk about the movie Sound of Metal first. Do we want to talk about all the things we watched? So, you know, just prep the audience to how many things we're going to go into here? Um, so I've been watching a few things this week. Uh, I've watched about three movies. Um, those movies being Sound of Metal, Minari, 
and Love and Monsters. I've watched uh, the latest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've watched the latest episode of Invincible. And I've, oh, yeah. uh, and I've watched the uh, entirety of season nine of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I got Sound of Metal, Minari, Marini's Black Bottom, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Ooh. So it's, it's quite a bit. We're, I yeah. guess we'll review these, but try to keep it as brief and concise as we can. Uh, it sounds like a plan, man. I'll keep it brief. I'll start with the, my weekly Grey's Anatomy update. Watch season nine. I mentioned last week there was a big episode that killed off some of my favorite characters. Um, season nine, it, you know, it gets back into the swing of things. It's uh, just another season of Grey's. They added a bunch of new characters. Um, they always do a good job with folding in these new characters. I start liking them pretty early on. Um, the season nine finale was pretty wild. They killed off another character, I think, as they regularly do. Um, but good show. I'm, I'm excited to keep on watching it. I'm now over the halfway point of what has been released. So, yeah, Grey's good stuff. Good stuff. That's my weekly Grey's Anatomy update. Wow. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Um, we can go Sound of Metal if you'd like. Here, talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because I haven't watched that. Um, and then we can we can take time on Sound of Metal and Minari and all that stuff since we both watched those. Sure. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is pretty fantastic. It's a, a plot line. starts in the 1920s. The idea is uh, Ma Rainey's band, uh, Ma Rainey and her band, uh, their jazz band, and they're jazz musicians, and they're they're initially touring, and uh, it's kind of really about her recording an album in the recording studio. And Rainey is played by Viola Davis, and one of the, the talented band members is played by none other than Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. And so he plays a character named Levy. This this story is actually uh, was initially immortalized in a play. It's it's a true story, sort of, because it's based on Rainey's real life and then they made a stage play out of it and then this is a adaptation of that stage play in film form and you can tell that it is or it was a stage play in the way that it's very much a lot of the dialogue and all of the scenes are mostly in one area they don't change up the sets uh tremendously but the dialogue is extremely snappy chadwick boseman's performance is fantastic he's so quick with all of the dialogue, and I really believe sincerely that he is this character, Levy. He, as well as the rest of the cast, did a phenomenal job, but he is a standout for sure. And, I mean, I know we're recording this prior to the Oscars, but he does honestly have a very strong chance, in my opinion, of winning Best Actor at the Oscars because of his performance. It, it was fantastic. It goes through a crazy range of emotions, and he, again... He performs it so well. Viola Davis is also unrecognizable. The makeup team did a fantastic job, but just her acting in general, she's a, she's basically a diva. But they, this band, they're dealing with an interesting situation. You can tell really early on, it's the 1920s, and they're a very popular band. And the mm. record company, the record label, realizes that they're making going to make a lot of money off of Moraney and Moraney's black bottom, <laughs> I guess. And so they pander to her, in some way, but you can tell the racist overtones. And that's the gem of this movie is just seeing the fact that Moraney's fame makes her respected or almost feared, but then maybe it's not respected as much as you would, you should, she should be if she was treated as an equal to these white record producers. And so that's the, the interesting balance to watch in this film. And it's definitely an, interesting movie to have launched in 2020 with the black lives matter movement it definitely is a it's very topical 
and it's it's a it's a very fun watch, but it's also depressing. And that leads me to my next point, which is moving on to the other movies we watched this week. A lot of the movies that were launched and were or more so were nominated for Best Picture in 2020 for the 2021 Oscars that are again have aired now. They're just depressing. They're sad movies. They're just they feel it feels like a more sad year than previous years for the Oscar Best Picture nom- nominees uh, more than before. Does do you feel like that's the case uh, as well, Adrian, or am I just crazy? No, Simon, you're definitely not crazy, man. It it is a very depressing year. And I don't know if that has to do with like everyone's in a more melancholy mood because we've been stuck indoors for the past year or whatever, if if, if COVID plays a factor into it whatsoever. But yeah, it definitely is a more bummer of a year. Like literally all these movies in the in the best picture category are all kind of sad. <laughs> like there's there's really not much positivity going around in any of them. Um, doesn't mean that they're bad movies by any means. Like they're, they're, they're phenomenal, but yeah, it's definitely a sad year for film. Yeah. Yeah. The plots are just sad and depressing and like Tenet wasn't nominated, although it was a divisive movie in some aspects, but soul also wasn't nominated, which I find was mostly optimistic. And so I don't know. Soul could have been nominated in my opinion, the animated film from Pixar, Disney Pixar. It Mm -hmm. wasn't. So I just, I wonder again, most of the nominated films, except for maybe Mank, or depressing movies that deal with topics in a fairly bleak manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Regardless, again, Moraney's Black Bottom, very poignant, especially in 2020, 2021. It's worth a watch, but it, you know, you're going to have to be maybe in the mood for it potentially. And also to see Chadwick Boseman's or one of Chadwick Boseman's best performances. He's just such a great actor and he seemed Based on all the people that talk about him, he seems like such a great human being. And it's so sad that he passed away. But moving on to another movie that we both saw, Sound of Metal. Also a pretty sad movie, but brilliant in its own right. What did you think of Sound of Metal, Adrian? I really love this movie. Like, I genuinely loved this movie. I think it does some super cool things with audio. And the use of subtitles throughout the film, as well as, in my opinion, just genius. I, um... The, the the movie itself is, you know, about a metal drummer that begins to go deaf and he's in a band with his girlfriend. Awful music, by the way. I, I'm <laughs> I'm a metal fan. I don't know what the fuck that was playing. I'll be honest. With you. That is not the kind of metal music I'm into, but to each of their own. I mean, music is subjective. Um, but yeah, he just starts going deaf and it's about him dealing with it and and understanding that, like, you know, being deaf isn't a death sentence that he can still live his life and still have an enjoyable life, even though he is deaf. And the movie kind of goes from there. He's, you know, a former drug addict and everything. And a lot of the movie takes place in like a rehab clinic, which, uh, which we get introduced to Paul Racy's character. And he's freaking phenomenal and nominated for best supporting actor uh, at the Oscars. Riz Ahmed uh, being the main character, he's nominated for best actor and he's freaking amazing. And the movie just does so many cool things. And it literally made me, I mean, this is, is going to almost come off as ignorant, but like it made me feel like I was going deaf. Like when I was watching the movie, the way it cuts out audio randomly, um, the, the almost tinnitus sound uh, going on in the background uh, throughout the film. It's really great. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you agree completely. I, I, we talked about it briefly on our closer look episode, but yeah, we didn't dive too deep into it. Yeah. We, we said that it probably will win best sound again. 
not knowing the future here because we're recording this the day before the the Oscar ceremony, but it's it makes sense that it would win. It just it makes you feel like you're in it, like you are Riz Ahmed's character Ruben. It it does. It, it's really good sound design and it's really well cut together in terms of even the video editing with that. The way that it shoots certain characters' faces and when they're specifically not able to hear, as an example, and then they shoot away and now you can get the full picture of what we would hear, like you and I would hear as an example, instead. It's a very interesting way to do the sound design and it gave me an anxiety, honestly. It, ma- it made me feel especially for Ruben, the main character, again, played by Riz Ahmed, because again, we got to kind of hear what he was hearing, which was not a lot, mm-hmm. which again, it was devastating for somebody who's in literally made their career out of music to go through that obviously would be extremely impactful on their life. And we get to see that, hear that and feel that very much firsthand. It's uh, it's an interesting perspective. And then to see Paul Racy just to move away from sound, his acting in this, again, I said this already, but I thought that he was just incredible. It just felt so real. From on the Riz Ahmed's perspective too, I feel like he could win Best Actor too, just because the acting on their both their fronts was amazing. Olivia Cook was really good too. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a really fantastic movie in terms of acting. And you could just see the frustration and feel the frustration from Riz Ahmed. And you can really feel the way that Paul Racy, Paul Racy's character has been living with this, with deafness for a long time and how he's adapted to it. And you, you believe it. Like Paul Racy's not deaf in real life, but it almost feel, felt again, real. I mentioned this on our A Closer Look episode, but it's Paul Racy's subtlety. It's the subtlety in his performance that makes it feel especially believable. It's really good. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this before as well. Subtitles, fantastic use as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, I was, I was sitting in, like sitting watching the movie quite a bit, and I was curious because they use a lot of sign language, and I, uh, <laughs> I do not understand sign. Like I, I, I can't follow it. And uh, at the point that it introduces the subtitles for the viewer when you're reading, um, like or watching the sub, uh, the sign language go on. It's it's really great, man. Um, but yeah, it's it's they just do such a fantastic job with that. Um, and again, it comes in right as Riz Ahmed's character is finally understanding sign language himself. So now the viewer who is put in his shoes is understanding what's going on around him. And again, it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I really, really love Sound of Metal. I can't recommend it enough. But again, a sad movie. And it makes you makes you think for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so frustrating why is everything sad um another movie that's kind of sad as well uh that we both watched is a movie called minari uh starring steven ewan um, probably best known for his uh role in the walking dead he all he also plays the main character in invincible um but yeah what did you think about minari more sad than sound of metal is what it was <laughs> um it was brilliant and you can see why there's so much buzz around it in terms of the award season steven ewan's acting is really really great mm-hmm. um the grandmother's performance, played by Yajung Yoon, is also amazing. And obviously, again, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It's just the movie goes through, it's, it seems to be getting happy and then it just goes sad and sad and sad. It's, it's, it's again, it's, it's a beautiful film, though. It's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of reminded me actually of the Apple TV 
original series, Little America, honestly. And that it's it's very much like a an immigrant story, like a, in the United States. It's just done very very well like that. And it's just it feels like a slice of this family's life and what they've had to go through. Mm-hmm. And again, it's sad, but it's also beautiful and very heartfelt. And it was fun to watch. Still, it's just again, I was sad after watching it. Yeah, I agree completely. The the kids in the movie as well. I've mentioned it before. I usually hate kid actors, but they were unreal. Like literally not. There wasn't a moment in this movie that I didn't believe them as being the kids in the movie, if that makes any sense. Usually kid actors take me out of the film. They did not in this case. And the relationship between the young boy and the grandmother is just a delight to watch in so many ways. And in a few ways, it honestly reminded me of being a kid. There was a lot of interesting parallels. Like my parents are immigrants as well uh, to Canada, obviously from Eastern Europe. So different uh, background entirely. But there's a lot of little things that I kind of picked up on that, you know, like my grandmother would do or my parents would say um, that that the characters in the movie would bring up, which I really loved it. It it made it feel that much more realistic Um and again, yeah, like it's it's pretty much about this, you know, Korean family that's trying to make the American dream happen or more so the father in the family that wants to make the American dream happen and is pretty much forcing this upon his wife and children. Um, and he wants to succeed for them, which, again, is uh, another big parallel that that I, I mean, hell, man, I can relate to that in my family. Like my dad is like he, he always wants to succeed for like me and my sister and obviously uh, my mom and everything. So. I don't know. It felt very authentic. Um, And it's another reason why I really, really loved that movie. And I could see it taking away at the Oscars as well. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. Right on. Another movie I watched that's a little bit more upbeat. um, Also an Oscar nom, but for uh, visual effects is a movie called Love and Monsters. I mentioned that this released on Netflix, I think a week or two ago uh, for us Canadians here. It's been out for a little while internationally. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty good movie. It's I'll keep this one brief. Um, if you're looking for something easy to watch, it's definitely worth watching. It's a, it's a popcorn flick about a monster apocalypse where um, I guess like I forget the exact thing, like an asteroid's coming to hit Earth. They bomb the asteroid and all the radiation spreads all over the world and all like insects and, you know, frogs and amphibious creatures, etc. just become huge and destroy the world and start killing a bunch of people. Um, but it is way more lighthearted in tone. Um, it is campy. It's kind of funny. Not my like favorite kind of humor, but uh, pretty great. It stars Dylan O'Brien. Um, her name escapes me, but she's iron. She's an iron fist. Uh, Jessica Henwick. Um, she's also uh, in the movie as well. Um, she plays Dylan O'Brien's like love interest at the beginning of the apocalypse, they split up and then the movie takes place seven years after that. And it's pretty much just about, uh, Dylan O'Brien wanting to, uh, meet up with his girlfriend and he leaves like the little settlement that he's in. However, he's absolutely terrified of monsters and he just freezes and it's about him overcoming that, etc. But anyways, if you're looking for something just easy to watch, that's kind of funny. Um, that has like really great special effects uh, and CGI of these like big monster creatures. It's something I'd recommend. It's pretty heartfelt at uh, times, super predictable. Like I knew exactly where the plot was going and where what everything was going to happen. But I don't think that necessarily takes away from the flick. Um, And definitely a good watch. It's a good contrast to everything else I watched um, in terms of movies the past little bit. So it was it was nice to see. 
Do you have any interest in Love and Monsters? Yeah, I might check it out with my girlfriend. She keeps mentioning it and her interest in it, so it's very likely we'll we'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Michael Rooker's also in it. Yeah, I saw that on the uh, on the title screen. Title screen. The title screen on Netflix. <laughs> title screen. That's funny. Yeah, man, I, I would recommend watching it. Um, you watch anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, maybe Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Before I move on to that, I should mention that all three of these movies that we just talked about, Sound of Metal, Minari, and Love and Monsters, are all above 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I agree with this score. I think that they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. I keep saying the word sad over and over again. It's making me sound a little ridiculous, but they are sad, like the first two anyway, Sound of Metal and Minari, but they're brilliant, and they're definitely worth a watch. I recommend at least Sound of Metal and Minari because those, those are the ones I've seen. They go unexpected directions, kind of similar to the way Promising Young Woman mm-hmm. does, and I feel like the plot is not predictable and... They're very heartfelt, and I felt really, I I teared up at least in Sound of Metal uh, a couple times, and I feel like again, definitely worth worth a watch. Uh, and I and I'm gonna watch Love and Monsters because again, it's very very highly rated, and it looks like a fun time. And after I watch Marini's Black Bottom, oh, there's sorry, there's four movies we just talked about. Marini's Black Bottom also extremely sad and worth the watch as well, and also above ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, I guess ninety seven or ninety eight percent. But with that being said, we I watched all three of these those movies with my girlfriend. We watched Sentimental Minari and Marini's Marini's Black Bottom within three days, and after that, she was exhausted. She's like, "Please, let's not watch another one of these movies." Like she'll watch all of the really highly rated Oscar movies, but Trial of the Chicago Seven, for, as an example is such a great movie, mm-hmm. but it is actually a fun watch. It doesn't make you feel anxiety. It's very well dialogued out. It has funny parts, even though it's talking about a very dark subject. I, I find that the the need to go this dark to be nominated is almost bothersome, and I kind of wish deep down that Mank or Trial of the Chicago 7 wins Best Picture because it chose in 2020 – the worst year of probably my life <laughs> to, you know, the most, the most devastating pandemic year to do something that wasn't devastating in terms of subject matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, tr- the trial of Chicago seven, I would say it's devastating subject matter. It but is, yeah, it, it's not, but at least it was doing it in such a way that it was informative. It was it made you arguably emotional, but it did so in a way that also there was funny parts in that mm-hmm. it was, it was hard, very heartfelt, but it still kind of went a direction that wasn't completely bleak. The bleakness is just strange. It, it puzzles me more and more that I think about it because, again, there's quite a few nominated movies and they're almost all bleak. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Definitely going to watch Love and Monsters. Another bright spot of my week for watching something uh, was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I also watched a lot more of Superstore. Superstore is just a great show. It's really a fun time. It's a comedy. It's extremely light. So it was a great palate cleanser from those other... Uh, three incredible movies. But Falcon and the Winter Soldier ended. It was mm-hmm. the final episode, season one, episode six. What did you think of Falcon and the Winter Soldier as it wrapped up? Um, I'll be honest, I'm pretty lukewarm on it. I think it's a good watch. Like, it's fun enough to watch. I think they introduced some super interesting characters in John Walker, who's one of my favorite characters in recent memory in Marvel. Super three-dimensional, well-developed. Um... But yeah, I don't know. The, sh- the show itself, again, I think it suffered greatly from being a week to week release. Every episode leading into the next loses all like its momentum and every episode ends in like almost a climax. And again, the next episode starts, except for I would say episode five, um, usually without any sort of steam. 
Um, episode five being like the 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 one the the episode that I would set aside as genuinely outstanding. The way that episode starts off and the directions that episode goes is amazing. But um, I don't necessarily think it landed the finish. Personally, I didn't really like the ending. I felt like it was rushed. Too much happened, and again, I, I've said this before, but too much happened. But at the same time, nothing really happened. There's some jumbled dialogue in it and some very questionable um, scenes in, in my personal opinion. Um, and again, I, I feel like it was definitely the weak. The last episode, in my opinion, is the weakest of the six episode series and uh, some almost <laughs> juvenile dialogue for pretty deep subject matter that I felt like the delivery could have been better. Um, but yeah, to me, that final episode is a big sort of sour spot in a otherwise pretty good series. Uh, anyways, uh, in my opinion, WandaVision is a significantly better show. And I, I liked WandaVision a hell of a lot more than I liked, uh, Captain Falcon and the Winter Man. Yeah, that, that's really my like bare bones review of it. I, I think it's still good. I think it's still worth a watch. It's nice that it's just included in, you know, this Disney plus subscription. Um, at no additional fee. Um, so again, if you have Disney Plus, more than worth watching. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it definitely isn't my favorite thing that I've seen in recent memory. What did you think of it? Uh, I disagree with your assessment of the last episode, and I really want to go into detail about it on a Closer Look episode for this week. Uh, the likelihood of us releasing one for Friday is high. I think we'll record it's been a busy couple weeks because of the oscars but i think if you agree we should record uh, a closer look focused on falcon and the winter soldier for friday sounds like a plan man sounds like a plan man i i don't dislike it i think that it picked up near the end i think it had a strong finish and i was looking at reviews for the last episode and nobody seems to agree with me and i'm confused as to why that is i have a theory as to why that is as well and it has a strong Connection to what you just said and what we've been saying for weeks, which is they should not be separating these as a week-to-week episode series because this is the most chopped-up movie-type TV series I've ever seen. In other words, it looks like it's a six-hour movie that they just chopped into six pieces. It does feel like that. It felt like that from the beginning, and I feel like that's the reason why people don't like the last episode because I watched the fifth episode and the sixth sixth episode almost back to back. And I actually really liked the sixth episode. So I, I was confused as to why people didn't like it. And I was wondering if it's because how do you, you generate more and more hype the longer you wait. And this show is not better than WandaVision, but I actually think that it actually had a stronger finish than WandaVision, believe it or not. Mm. So I don't know if that's because of the way that I watched it and the way other people watched it, if that had a relation. I was reading a review and I just... There's things that they were saying that I was like, I don't really get what you're even what you're even saying. Like the, the points that were being made didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was confusing. The things I don't like typically in film and TV are things with plot holes. I hate them. When I find a plot hole or something that doesn't make sense, I tear it apart. And so I almost found there was plot holes in WandaVision. And that's the reason why I was so harsh on that series, despite the fact that I, I really did love it. So I I don't know. I didn't find that there was really that many holes in the series. And I felt that the relationship between Falcon and the Winter Soldier improved as the show went on. The fifth episode was an incredible episode of TV. I love that episode. Yeah, like I, that to me is a huge highlight in this this Marvel 
cinematic universe as a whole, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. I will have to talk about it in more detail. I think we'll, we should leave it there. And I think we should just talk about it in more detail because it's hard to really go into too much detail, especially because I feel like the majority of what people had a problem with was the plot and the way mm. the pacing in the last episode was kind of weird. It, it seems to be it was it was rushed. It seems to be the conclusion. I would agree in, in a way that with what you said before, with that they felt like they didn't do a lot each episode, and but at the same time, they felt rushed at the same time, which mm. it didn't make a lot of sense. And I just feel like it's because we're just hoping and anticipation of something grand happening. But by the time they build up to it, they kind of just move along. The fifth and sixth episode that didn't really happen, they wanted, they almost took the pace a different direction. And it was what was so brilliant. And I just, again, I think a lot of the problem with the show is the fact that it was split up into six parts. Was it perfect? Do I think it's the greatest show I've ever watched? No, by, by far. And it is not, if I was to, Put this on the scale with all of the Marvel movies that have come out before it. I wouldn't put this very high. Like, let's say this was just a one of the Marvel movies, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is a Marvel movie among Iron Man and the uh, you know Captain America Winter Soldier. It's not near the top for me at all. But at the same time, it's not at the bottom. I still think Iron Man Two is worse. So, or it's like Thor: The Dark World. Um, Thor: The Dark. Actually, Thor. I don't know. Iron Man Two actually, I've come around on a little bit in recent years, but. Or Iron Man three, I had problems with because I found it's it's plot holy, but Thor: The Dark World is I feel like unmistakably forgettable, mm-hmm. or mistakably forgettable. I'm not sure which one works in this particular contest context context contest in this particular contest particular contest of the title screen. Okay, let's move on to the news, shall we? What are you thinking? No. Okay. Okay. Well, we should we should move on to the news, um, and we are, and we're going to move on to the news. Let's begin with a small collection of more focus stories that have screened particularly pertinent this week. Number one, the 93rd Annual Academy Awards aired on Sunday, April 25th, 2021 at both Union Station and Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, California. As opposed to the Zoom conferencing style of award show that many award shows in 2021 attempted, the Oscars took a unique live and in-person method for broadcast. The ceremony was handled like a film set. All nominees were expected to get vaccinated and get tested numerous times prior to the event. When cameras were rolling, masks came off, but when it was time for a commercial break, masks went back on. The event was arguably rooted in Oscars history and film nostalgia, with a notable focus on the continued fight for diversity and inclusion. Adrian, we just watched the Oscars literally moments ago. What did you think of the award show this year? Um, I thought it was uh, okay. I think we've mentioned it before. I don't know about this podcast, but uh, that I feel like the Oscars feel a little bit more disjointed or it doesn't flow as well without having a persistent host throughout the entire show. Um, I feel like it's kind of missing something without having a leader. Some, yeah. It's someone that's just really just, you know, setting the course right. It just seems a little bit disjointed and as a result, I feel like it's almost a little bit boring without yeah, like a know. constant, you know? Not yeah. That, yeah. That, that's really Desmond from lost, but I feel like a constant is it's just comforting. No, that's exactly it, man. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was a, a otherwise pretty good show. I was, it, it was weird seeing a bunch of people live on TV in a room together, not wearing masks and stuff. Um, obviously they took the necessary safety precautions to get there, but it's still just surreal 
<laughs> seeing that on TV, um, if that makes any sense. It's because uh, here in Ontario, at least we're so deep in the pandemic. So it's just it throws me off. But um, I, I quite like the show. I mean, there were some surprises in the winners and a couple of what I would call upsets, at least for me. But yeah, all in all, I enjoyed the show. I like watching the Oscars every year. I think I think it's just a cool awards show. I like awards shows. There's something about them, whether it be, you know, the game awards or whatever, or uh, or the Oscars, the Emmys. They're just fun to watch. It's nice um, celebrating these amazing like movies that came out or TV shows in, in the case of the Emmys or video games for the Game Awards. But yeah, I don't know, man. How, how, what do you think about the Oscars this year? I like them, actually. This Of all years, I kind of like the collective not having a host style only for this year because I feel like one of the themes is, you know, we're fighting this COVID pandemic together and there was this hopefulness that I kind of felt that even like as Brian Cranston was talking Uh, At one point, he was mentioning that next year we're going to be, you know, back in the Dolby Theater. We're not going to be, but we're going to be able to watch the Dolby Theater again because this it kind of took place in the Dolby Theater, but it was mostly at Union Station in in Los Angeles. And it was more Golden Globes-esque than Oscars-esque in the way that it was presented, it seemed like, because again, everyone was in like on like these separate tables um, with like certain groupings. I think that they did that for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think it was handled very well, and I and I appreciate the idea of treating it like an, a film set. They're filming other TV shows and movies. I know I, I shouldn't say I know, but I have a strong feeling that networks like Fox News, as an example, will try to rip this event apart. I just have this weird feeling that there will be lots of criticism. The fact that they weren't wearing masks on camera, uh, it's people that kind of don't understand, I guess. But I just have a feeling. I don't know if you're getting that feeling as well, but yeah, no, definitely because people won't be informed on it's just ignorance. Why, yeah, like why these people could do this, if that makes any sense. Like, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't know about it until you read the story. That was actually a question I was going to ask you. Like, how did all these people get into the theater uh, or into this room together? It makes sense that they're all va- vaccinated, but it's uh, again just a very surreal viewing experience, and I, I think it'll be funny. I, I do agree with you. It'll probably be ripped apart by, you know, like these more uh, right wing news outlets, which is, again, I, I find a little bit ironic because they're the same people that talk shit about wearing masks. So it's just uh, it's all just, um, yeah, for the course, like politics, <laughs> stupid politics. Yeah, it's a little silly. Um, mm. They did mention that actually at the beginning of the show, it was Regina King was the first presenter. And uh, I particularly appreciate Regina King. I feel like her movie didn't get a lot of love in these in this Oscar ceremony. But speaking of not maybe hearing Regina King say this at the beginning of the Oscar ceremony, why the heck is it so hard to watch the Oscars on a streaming service, etc. in 2021 without a cable subscription? Dude, it's actually unbelievable. I do not have cable. I haven't had cable for many years. I had the privilege of knowing you. So whenever the Oscars aired, I would literally hang out with you. We wouldn't talk because we don't talk outside this podcast, of course. But, uh, you know, of course, I, w- I would talk to my people and my people would talk to your people and we would set up a little like get together so we could watch the Oscars because uh, at least someone in your family had a cable package so we could watch it. But no, I did not have a cable package this year. And it was a pain in the ass to find a I guess a legal stream online to watch this fucking show. If I was given the option to just pay $25 to stream this, I would have paid the $25. Me too. It just it, unquestionably. It's just 
it it it's remarkable to me that they're just missing out on this revenue. Like I feel like it would make so much the millennial market. It's dude, it's honestly it's shocking to me. I just can't wrap my head around it as to why they're not doing this and it must be just pre-made contracts from many years ago. I know Bell has the streaming rights, I guess, to the Oscars here in Canada. So one of the places I checked, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be streaming on Crave TV. It was not. Um, No. So it's quite frustrating. Even if you have a Crave TV subscription, it doesn't count as a Bell Cable subscription. So you're out of luck. And uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's frustrating. I was literally just scouring Reddit, Twitter, all these things. And then I found this random ass link that some dude posted on uh, Twitter and it did not uh, like read the leg. I was like, I'm going to get a virus or something, but it worked. Right, I watched yeah. the entire <laughs> I watched the entire show. I'm um, using this link. It wasn't high quality. It was like 720p. So watching it on my like 65 inch OLED, it wasn't the uh, most ideal viewing experience, but I'm glad I got to watch it. There was some buffering issues here and there, but again, I got I got the bulk of the show, so I'm not too worried. It's antiquated. Mm-hmm. It's antiquated. This is we're living in an antiquated. Somehow, these companies, Bell and Rogers, they monopolize the market in Canada, and you can't you can't do anything with a cable package. Cable is done. I'm sorry, Bell and Rogers, but it's over now. You got to adapt. This is the most slow adoption to the new age that I've ever seen. And they just, it's just because again, they monopolize Canada. It's really silly. I just don't get it. Why they would, this has been years in the making. I've been not having cable for years. And I've been having this issue every year I go to watch the Oscars. It's difficult for me to get. And I just don't understand why it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. Just, it makes no sense. I don't get it. Like if I don't want to have cable, I'm not going to get cable. The weird thing is, so I go on the ctv.ca. That CTV is Bell, for those of you who don't know because you live in the United States or New Zealand. Um, Bell Canada owns CTV. You go there and it says sign in. So you go to sign in and there's not even an option to sign up. Like you'd think that they'd even want to monopolize on the fact that now they can now get me as a subscriber, maybe as a free trial for their streaming service of a cable streaming like package. There isn't even an option in there to do that, which is just like, are you a business or what? what is your business here? What, you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a cable box. I'm just not going to do that. So work on, they have some Bell 5 TV that they, that they enable. There's, yeah. like, there's like, I can't, alt TV, I think it's called. Just I, I think sell it's me literally that. called Five TV. I, mean, I would buy it for the month, but yeah. even just sell me that. That's fine. I would do it. Why don't you have that option for me available? It's weird. You go to a, a website like Mobile Syrup. There's other websites as well. They're advertising. How do I get the Oscars without a cable package? And I was reading up on it, and it says go to the CTV. Go to CTV. That's how you stream it. And I'm like, this is not how to do it. You can't do that unless you have a cable package. It's weird. I guess I don't know. They they don't realize this. That they you still need a cable package to get CTV. It, it's a, one of those weird things. Even the Hollywood Reporter reported on every country and the way that you can get the Oscars, but you still can't get it without a cable package. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible. It's just so strange, and no one seems to know. Every year, you run, I run into the same problem. Like maybe this year they will have learned. These companies, these corporations, will have learned that this is the way the world is going. Give me a good price on the internet for a way to stream these live events. Why yeah, is this man. so difficult? Yeah, it's such a it's such a backwards ass system. Let's go to Shark Tank or Dragons Den and, and present a, a streaming service that like literally just does live events like the Super Bowl and the Oscars. Maybe I I don't know. Like I guess that's a thing that people. I'd assume you can have already, not solved. You can dev. Can you not get the Super Bowl on like Sportsnet apps and stuff? 
Yeah, yeah. That that one's solved already because you can get a sports nap, a sports a sports nap, a, a sports app, like TSN Go or Sportsnet Now in Canada, and that will solve that. Or even DAZN. I think DAZN would stream the Super Bowl, uh, DAZ and that that app. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I've gone on long enough about this. I just find it frustrating. The last thing I want to point out about this event, I actually found it pretty cool. Like I found that again, they did it pretty professionally. I, I feel like it was professionally produced. It did feel better than like the Emmys as an example, which again, the Zoom conferencing style of show, I'm kind of tired of it. So I was glad that they did this kind of with the all the actors in the room and the film set style of producing an award show. Mm-hmm. But one thing I just can't wrap my head around is the ending of the show. They presented best picture, not last, which doesn't make any sense to me. And I think they've got to change this back next year and for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Best picture is the cream of the crop. It's the holy grail of the Oscars. It's what you want to win. Why would you win it third to third to last? Presenting the actor acting awards last as well, it almost sets a almost a, not a precedent, or almost a precedent, but it sets this tone that the acting awards are the most important. They are not. And I and I felt mm-hmm. like throughout the award show that they were really focused on the ensemble, the ensemble of the cast and crew that are work together as a team to create these vast multi-million dollar incredible projects like Nomadland yeah. or Minari or um, Promising Young Woman. And that what I thought was the theme of this Oscar ceremony until the end when they pre- decided to pre- somehow announce acting last and best picture third to last. Did that make sense to you, Adrian? No, not at all. Especially for a award show that is like, I guess, priding itself and how progressive it is and everything like that. Ending the show with the last award being best actor, like not best actress, mind you, best actor, which again, yes, I, I was like, that's a little bit weird. I'm not one of these people that really care. I'll be honest with you. Like, like, like I, I'm not, you know, hyper analyzing or anything like that or being like, Oh, like, this is the male patriarchy, you know, causing the, like making the, the acting thing, the, 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 the ultimate sort of award, but it, it did kind of throw me off. It, it, there's, it, it sets off the pacing, I think. And again, for, I think you said it best, like acting is not the most important award in this no. awards show by any no. means. And I think the most important award is the best picture, the movie that is the best. It, just, it to me, it just doesn't make any sense. But again, I just found it very weird that, again, they they put the acting at the the last and again, making the last award a best actor, like a male award. It just it, it seemed out of place. Here's the only rebuttal I've got for that. The best acting award. Dawn, my girlfriend, was sitting next to me and she said, well, perhaps they did that because of the fact that they know that Chadwick Boseman wins. And that I'm like, was my thought, oh. too. They, that's fine, but that's not how they do these award shows. They don't know what's on the envelope. The envelope is sealed until the person presenting presents it. And the people in the atrium don't know they're going to win. That's one of the brilliant things. They don't have to act that they, they – they can get an idea that they might win. Like Nomadland probably had a great idea. Like Chloe Zhao might have had a good idea that she was going to win Best Picture because it seemed like that was in the cards. But mm-hmm. it's weird to me that they, they would do this. And then as we're going to talk about in a moment, Chadwick Boseman did not win best actor and not no offense to Joaquin Phoenix, but he's not the greatest presenter. He's a great actor, but presenting on stage is not a strong suit. He goes off the cuff 
And you ended with him as a presenter. It's just, it was a lackluster ending for no reason when you could have had the ensemble Nomadland cast with Swanky and Linda May and Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao all on, on, on stage at the end, just like you had with Parasite. Or I have a fond memory for some reason of Argo, of everyone getting on stage because there was just so many cast members and crew members that just piled on stage. Um, or even, I even remember Moonlight. Moonlight was very memorable because there was a mistake. But I just found, yeah. again, everyone piled on stage and everyone was so happy and elated. You kind of have this, almost like this, you can have this confetti show because it's the, it's, it's the holy grail. I, I don't, is there some controversy behind making Best Picture the the thing you want to get as the, like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a controversy behind making that the the holy grail of the Oscars? I don't think so. If there is, I don't know what the hell it would be. Yeah. Like, I literally do not know what it would be. Again, I feel like they they made a controversy. And, yeah, uh, by presenting Best Actor last, which yeah. just doesn't make any sense. It, I wonder if maybe there was a mistake. There was some kind of problem, and they, they had the course correct, and that's why they didn't do Best Picture last. There could have been some kind of problem with one of the presenters. Mm-hmm. Maybe Joaquin Phoenix. Who knows? Maybe he, he was went missing, and they couldn't find him. And then they're like, well, we can't present this now. Now what do we do? So Joaquin Phoenix went last because they didn't have a choice, mm-hmm. which kind of screwed up the entire award show. I don't know. I, I'm just speculating because it just doesn't make sense to me about the Joaquin Phoenix going missing thing. It's probably not didn't happen. I just have no idea. I, I wonder if there will be tomorrow, there'll be a bunch of news articles about the fact that this is this was organized this way and it doesn't make sense. And then the, the Academy will come forward and say, uh, like the president of the Academy will be like, well, actually what happened was uh, we had a little mis- mishap. And then and then they'll explain it. But yeah. we'll, we'll find out, I guess. I, I, I imagine there's probably articles already made about like the best actor cor- uh, category was last and here's and here's why that's problematic it's just yeah. like a vice.com article or a buzzfeed right. article yeah and it's just i don't know it, it just seems like such an unavoidable thing to do i, I don't know yeah it, it, there, there must have been something if we put aside the social issue regarding the ending I feel as though the overall ceremony dealt with inclusivity and diversity in, a, in an admirable way. I think it was done very well. Like the award for Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry, by the way, is an incredible speaker. That guy, mm-hmm. fantastic. Wow. And like the stuff that he's done. I really love to speak. For his community in general. Like he keeps coming up. Like this isn't the first time that I think he's been awarded. Wasn't he awarded at the Emmys as well? I can't remember now, but. I think so. He definitely was. He was another award show that he was awarded at. And honestly, the guy deserves it. Like he just keeps stepping up every single year uh, to, again, not just in film. Like he's stepping up for, like he's like the busiest man in freaking Hollywood just Again, with his foundation and his giant film studio and the number of people he employs, it's fantastic. He's just an incredible person. Yeah, he just seems like a very pleasant guy, like a very good role model for young people. 100%. An absolute legend, as you said before. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's less the controversy about the diversity, in my opinion. It's just, that's just the most lackluster way to end (laughs) an award show. Yeah, it just went out with like a wet fart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's just how it felt a wet fart and yeah because also the award recipient for best actor anthony hopkins wasn't even there Mm -hmm. so they're like we accept the the award uh, on behalf of anthony hopkins it's like okay well that was great yeah to be fair chad Bozeman wouldn't have been there obviously because he's unfortunately dead but i feel like there would have been some like nice speech made by his family or something like there that. would have been for sure it would have been yeah, your girlfriend makes a good point i i actually thought the exact same thing and i was like oh they're they're probably mixing it up because chadwick boseman did win best actor and i was like that kind of spoils it and then when he wasn't the best actor i was kind of like what the like what 
Yeah. It just seemed, it seemed odd. It definitely seemed odd. Um, a couple like of highlights though, that, that I really liked. There's the, uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, speech. I, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, the director of Parasite. Yeah. And he's, he's talking and I don't know what, what they did with like the camera work, but I just found it kind of hilarious. You know, the camera's on him. He's talking, um, yeah. in his like native tongue, Korean. And then it, the camera kind of shifts to his translator who's just yeah. standing there. She translate it. The camera pans back to him. He like finishes his speech and then she just walks into the camera like uh, on screen and then just starts translating. It just seemed so oddly rehearsed, which I'm sure like obviously it was, but I don't know. I just found it a, a little bit of a highlight. Um, I, I was definitely uh, laughing about that. And I also want to do a big shout out to, uh, Francis McDormand's speech um, pretty much just talking about like when you can go into the movie theater, f- like watch this movie and all these movies on the biggest screen you can. I, uh, I felt that on a spiritual level. I miss the movie theater so much. I, I can't, I, I I'm going to say that every day for the rest of my life until I get the theaters back. And it was just really nice that the people there, at least her, she's supporting the movie industry and, um, advocating for people to go back to the theater when it's safe of course yeah i think everyone mm-hmm. everyone there was sort of projecting that same sentiment i would argue they kind of they're they're you know their work livelihoods on yeah 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 Jun yoon had a a really great speech and funny speech and she, she was, was like clearly super happy to be there so always chloe zhao like chloe zhao mm-hmm. was just every time the camera was on her she was just like elated she's like so happy every time it's just, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty fantastic. I actually kind of like that moment where they were going through the Oscar winning songs, whether it was, they were playing songs essentially, and it was whether they were asking whether it was Oscar no- uh, nominated winning and uh, or not either of them. And I thought that that was a pretty funny moment as well. A little bit, a little weird though, because they had to cut away from certain people who were swearing like. Yeah, Andre, what's her name? Andra, Andra Day. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, it's it's funny because, yeah, I guess this is her first big role. She's in the Oscars and she's just swearing like a sailor. And it just the audio keeps on cutting <laughs> out. And uh, I forget the gentleman's name, um, but he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that, ABC. And like just kind of walks away. Yeah, um, because, yeah, like, I don't know. It, she just seemed like she just did not give a fuck, which I, I kind of appreciated. She was just there. She got nominated for Best Actress. <laughs> And she just didn't care about the academy. The way she talked about the academy just seemed so negative, and it 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 almost made for an awkward sort of bit. But uh, I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. And then Glenn Close's dance, like Glenn Close, like she she was like prepared for that answer, but she mm-hmm. she wasn't. Like I, I don't think she knew she was going to be called upon to to guess that song, but she she killed it. She does indeed. And and even like Daniel Kaluuya with uh, like Howry, like they they knew each other from Get Out, so it, it, that conversation they had was pretty funny prior to him asking asking uh, Kaluuya to guess the song. Anyway. We're we're going off a little bit on on a tangent, but again, Oscar ceremony pretty good. I just found that it ended very lackluster. That was my major criticism of it. I just I just don't understand what happened. Like it just doesn't make any sense, and so that's the weird one. But let's get into the awards now. We've got twenty two awards to go through. We're going to go through them pretty rapid fire. We'll take a break and talk about some of them uh, a little bit, like because we did make predictions in our a closer look episode last week on Friday, and so we're going to. Just jump into them and, and talk about the winners briefly. Um, let's start with how we started our list. 
for our, our Closer Look episode with Best Supporting Actress. The Best Supporting Actress, as we just mentioned, the Best Supporting Actress award went to Yajun Yoon for Minari. She's fantastic. We both mm-hmm. guessed that she would win. It seemed like that was in the cards. A lot of people guessed that kind of everywhere. Um, any thoughts on that? No, no, I, just, I think it's incredibly well-deserved. And uh, I was I was happy to see it. And I'm glad that it led to such a wonderful, joyful speech. For sure. And I'm and glad smile. she was able to meet Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the next award was Best Supporting Actor. The Best Supporting Actor acting award went to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. We had both guessed something completely different. I had guessed Paul Racy, and you had guessed... Sasha Baron Cohen from The Trial of Chicago 7. Right, and Paul Racy uh, was the supporting actor in Sound of Metal, which actually, mm-hmm. when they showed that clip, the clip in Sound of Metal where Riz Ahmed's character, and it was shown in the Oscars, is talking to Paul Racy at that table. That's mm-hmm. the subtlety that I was talking about. I just find that his performance is, again, brilliant. Daniel Kaluuya, we don't have much of a perspective on his performance for Judas and the Black Messiah. We just haven't watched the movie. Yeah, can't wait to watch that movie. I just need it to go cheaper than $25. Yeah, that's right. The only thing that was a little bit weird about the Daniel Kaluuya win, or really not about the win, because I, I believe that he was absolutely brilliant, but Daniel Kaluuya and Lee Keith Stanfield are, are said to be leads in that movie. So it's just a little odd that we don't know. I don't think we talked about that in our closer look episode, but it was a little odd that they were nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah. Like who, yeah. Who's the main character in that case? It it throws me off. I think they're both in like the majority of the movie. So I I just don't think that they maybe should have been in that category. Maybe Coolio would have won best actor. I don't know. It's hard to know, but they're somehow nominated for best supporting actor. So Coolio won. It seemed like everyone kind of thought that he would win, even in the in the auditorium in a way. Uh, like Laura Dern kind of talked very highly of his performance literally during the announcement of the nominees. So mm-hmm. next award was Best Adapted Screenplay. The winner of that award was The Father, written by Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller. We don't have perspective on that, but we both did not guess that. We both guessed the same one. Same movie. One Night in Miami, baby. Uh, written by Kemp Powers, and mm. he did not win. Yeah, which again uh, threw me off. I'm sure The Father's amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure it is, but it's unfortunate. I feel like One Night in Miami was a little bit snubbed this year. It, it seems that that's, I think, the biggest upset um, for me, at least. Yeah, for me too. Like, I really think that, again, it won nothing, and I just don't think that it deserved that. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But moving on. The next award that we talked about on the A Closer Look episode is Best Original Screenplay, which we had guessed would be won by Promising Young Woman's Emerald Fennell, the writer and director for that film. We guessed it right, which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. And well-deserved. That that movie's amazing. And every time I see any of the writing for that movie in a clip, I'm just amazed at how much it subverts expectations and how unexpected and how topical it is and... It's brilliant. I can't agree more. The next award was Best Live Action Short. We had both guessed Two Distant Strangers, and Two Distant Strangers won that award. So, great. We, both, we don't have any perspective on that because we literally didn't watch the movie. I just read the description, and then I and then I guessed it would win based on the description of the movie. Yeah, yeah. The speech was good, though. The speech they had when they got up, again, topical and well said. The next award that we predicted was Best Animated Shorts. Uh, and the award for Best Animated Short went to If Anything Happens, I Love You, a Netflix short film. And we guessed that. 
that would win mm-hmm. on our episode, which is cool. Again, we didn't see that, but we took a guess based on, I guess, research. The next one, best documentary feature went to My Octopus Teacher. We saw the trailer, I think, for that. I also looked into it and we both guessed that that would win uh, as well. So we got that one too. Mm-hmm. The next award is Best Sound, which that award at the Oscars went to Sound of Metal. Uh, the sound being completed by Nicholas Becker, Jamie Bakst, Michelle Kotelink, Carlos Cortez, and Philip Glad. And uh, we guessed that one too. No surprise. Yeah, that, that's an, that, no surprises whatsoever for that one. Yeah, that was not a mystery. The, the sound is quintessential to that movie. And it's, it's in the movie's title. Obviously, yeah. it's going to win. That's right. The next award that we predicted was Best Cinematography. We predicted something completely different, you and I. But the winner was Mank, the cinematographer being Eric Messerschmidt. Yeah. I guess that one. You guessed Nomadland's Nomadland. Joshua James Richards. And guess what, Simon? What? That brings you one over me. Ooh, one over you so far. Let's see how this mm. ends off here. I know exactly how it ends off. I've been keeping track. Oh, okay. Yeah. The next award uh, that we predicted on our bonus episode was Best Editing. That award went to Sound of Metal. Oh. Uh, Mikkel E.G. Nielsen. That award we both guessed incorrectly. I'm pretty sure. I guessed that the Trial of the Chicago 7 would win and Alan Baumgarten would win that award. I guess Nomadland uh, with Chloe Zhao. Oh, okay. Chloe Zhao is like a force to be reckoned with. She directed, wrote, and edited the movie. It's wild. Yeah, it's bananas. But uh, in hindsight, not not a huge surprise that Santa Metal won Best Editing as well. Yeah, no. That, I did mention that I think on the predictions episode. that I th- You definitely did, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I was kind of, it was a toss-up for me, but I thought The Trial of the Chicago 7 had brilliant editing, so I kind of jumped to that one. The next award that we predicted was Makeup and Hairstyling. The award at the Oscars went to Marini's Black Bottoms, Sergio Lopez Rivera, Mia Neal, and Jamika Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I guessed Marini's Black Bottom would win that award, and you had guessed- You did. I guessed Mank. Which also, you know, had incredible hairstyling and makeup as well. Although the makeup's, I guess, a little harder to see in black and white, but definitely, again, well-deserved nomination for Mank. The next award that we predicted was Production Design. That award went to Mank. The production design by Donald Graham Burt. Set decoration by Jan Pascal. And I had guessed that Mank would win this particular award, and you had guessed... Tenet. 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 It's also fair. I feel like Tenet was snubbed overall. I was just... I uh, During the commercial breaks, they advertised Tenet because, again, watching in Canada, and they were showing the Crave TV, Crave streaming service would be getting Tenet in a couple months. And I just, again, such great production design in that movie there's such great sound in that movie i i just find that that movie was snubbed too honestly i I feel like people didn't understand it i I feel kind of bad about that anyway whatever what what can you do that movie was also more optimistic than the most of the other nominees but not much of a nomination for that other than production design and best visual effects the next category is best costume design that category i had guessed that marini's black bottom would win uh and roth being the costume designer and Marini's Black Bottom did win. Who did you guess would win this category, Adrian? Mank. Once again, a movie that I didn't really like. Yeah, that's fair. The next category is Best Visual Effects. The winner for that, we both guessed. It was Tenet. Uh, the visual effects Tenet. were by Andrew Jackson, David Lee, Andrew Lockley, and Scott Fisher. And that, I feel like that was a no-brainer. 
Yeah, I can't say enough good things about that movie's like visual effects. Um, start yeah. to finish, it's unbelievable. So good. Yeah, the practical effects are wild. Mm-hmm. The next category was best animated feature film. The winner of that specific category was Soul. We both guessed that Soul would win. Out of the ca- out of the movies here, we had both seen Onward and Soul, and we just kind of took a judgment call that Pixar would take this award home as it as it did. Pete Doctor is just a visionary, and they said that on stage. I feel like a couple times. Uh, and he, it was well deserved. Mm-hmm. Pixar and Pete Doctor, they definitely deserved this this award. He just knows it. He just knows what to do. Indeed, knows how to make a good movie. Indeed, the next category was best international film. We predicted that another round for, out of Denmark would win this award, and we were both correct. Another round did win. The speech by the director Thomas Vinterberg when he came up on stage, by the way, was extremely heartfelt. Did you know that backstory that his daughter had passed away, Adrian? I did not. It was very sad, actually. Yeah, I had meant to talk to, about that on the podcast, but I just it was after we had already reviewed another round that I learned that information, and so I just didn't get around to it, I guess. But yeah, it's a pretty sad story, and I guess he like directed this film in the face of adversity because that's a. That would have been an extremely tough thing to do, obviously. So that movie is just a joyous romp to watch, though. It's just such a fun movie to watch. That that they used the clip they used to show off the movie was the ending scene, which yeah. I just love that scene so much. It almost feels out of place in the movie, but it isn't. It's just it's, it's amazing. Mads Mikkelsen is fantastic, man. I adore that movie. One of my favorites in the past year. I should clarify. The next category is best original song. We both got this one very wrong. We both guessed that Speak Now, the One Night in Miami song would win. Uh, The music was by Leslie Odom Jr. But instead, One Night in Miami, again, lost this award. Uh, And Fight For You, the Judas and the Black Messiah song, music by her and Durnst Emile II, and lyrics by her and Tiara Thomas took the award home. I don't have perspective on this again because I didn't watch Judas and the Black Messiah. So I feel like I've got to watch that movie to really get a firm grasp on whether mm-hmm. I agree or disagree with that. But I'm, these are all incredible songs for each of the respective films. So yeah, I always find this category actually to be the weirdest. I feel like music is just so subjective. Um, so like best original song always threw me off. I think it also matters in the context of the film uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. So that's kind of where it's judged as well, I'd argue. But the next category is best musical score. I didn't mention this on our, our closer look episode too much, but I actually love this category as a child. I was a not a child even as a teenager. I mostly listened to score music. That was the that was the genre of music that I particularly loved. I got into Lost by Michael Giacchino as an example early on, and I just really loved listening to scores. And this particular award, we both guessed the correct. Winner, Soul won. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and John Batiste were the winners of this award. I was very happy to see this. Me too, man. Yeah, uh, again, this is one of those awards that I just wasn't surprised by. I knew it was coming. I just don't see how they couldn't win, um, to be fair. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy that it won best score for sure. It's very well deserved. Yeah, I thought maybe Mank might win. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross again. The weird thing, about this at the Oscars was I kind of wondered if Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross didn't get a chance to speak. I don't think that's necessarily true, but John Batiste, he had a pretty good speech actually, but I, I just mm-hmm. found that they were standing in the back and it looked like they wanted to step up. I, I kind of felt bad just because they were nominated for 
two awards and they won one of them, but then they didn't get to talk. I have a feeling that they chose that and they just asked John to to step up and, and speak on their behalf. But I was kind of curious what they would say, to be mm-hmm. honest. I don't know about you. Me too. Yeah, definitely. I think they've been nominated a few times before, but I don't think they've ever won. No, that's not true. I believe they won for the social network, actually. Yeah, that's actually, they, they did win another Oscar for the social network when they did that with uh, David Fincher. Ooh. Next award that we guessed at was Best Actor. That award we were completely wrong on. The winner of that was Anthony Hopkins. We both guessed that Chadwick Boseman would win for Moraney's Black Bottom. Again, this was the most puzzling part of the award show. Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there. I would guess that Anthony Hopkins did an incredible job because everything he's in ever, he does an amazing job in. So that's not a surprise. But the fact that this was at the end of the show, again, puzzles me, but whatever. Yeah, man, again, I, I agree 100%. Uh, like, I, I have nothing much to add. I really love Anthony Hopkins. I'm sure it's a well-deserved award. But yeah, again, the pacing, uh, this being the last event, or sorry, the, the last award just seems um, out of place, and I don't like it. I don't like it. With that being said, I don't want to criticize this segment of the Oscars too much, but the in memoriam, what was going on with the pacing there? Did you notice that? No. So uh, my my th- that's actually one of the points where my computer buffered loading okay. the Oscars. So to me, the pacing looked messed up because it kept on buffering. Okay. So it was strange to be honest. I'm not sure what happened, but they were skipping really fast through like about half of the names and the the people and then they slowed down for some of them and it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason for why they were slowing them down it wasn't really going with the music as far as i saw so again my girlfriend and i were watching that and we were again it's supposed to be a heartfelt touching moment and it was distracting i didn't understand this i don't know the problem with it ultimately was that at some points it was moving so fast that we couldn't even read the names it's uh, it was a tragic year honestly there was a lot of actors editors, directors that passed away. And I don't know, it didn't feel like it did it justice as it normally does. That's too bad. Yeah. Like I just appreciate the impact of the in memoriam segment. And my criticism really comes out of a place of respect. But anyway, the next award that we guessed at was best actress. The winner for that award at the Oscars was Frances McDormand for Nomadland. We had both guessed something completely different. I had guessed that Viola Davis would win for Moraney's Black Bottom, and you had guessed, if I recall correctly, that Carrie Mulligan would win for Promising Young Woman. Correct. This is, uh, again, this is another one of those upsets that I had um, throughout the show. Again, I think um, Frances McDormand, she did a great job in Nomadland, don't get me wrong, but there was something about Carrie Mulligan's performance that I just think is absolutely outstanding and to me maybe it's because i love promising young woman more than i i like nomadland by a great deal that i just felt uh i just felt like francis mcdormand didn't really not necessarily didn't deserve to get the role but i i would have much preferred it to much preferred the award going to someone else i kind of feel similarly but for viola davis i feel like viola davis was literally completely transformed i don't i didn't see that as much as in Frances McDormand's performance that she was completely transformed into a different person. And so I kind of felt a little disappointed a little bit that Viola Davis didn't win, but it honestly, every single actress on this list is amazing. And 
it's kind of silly. We're just nitpicking at this point. Mm -hmm. Kerry Mulligan was fantastic, but so was Francis McDormand. Like, yeah, I think it was pretty well predicted again across the the variety, like variety and deadline and various sites that Francis McDormand had a really good chance of winning. So it's not too surprising. The other thing about Francis McDormand is that literally she pushed that movie forward. She's a producer on that movie. And she, I think she even pulled Chloe Zhao into she, again, she was a driving force behind getting Chloe Zhao to make this particular movie. So that, again, respect to Frances McDormand. She deserved it on other notes potentially as well to win that award. So again, well-deserved. Next award that we guessed at was Best Director. We had both guessed that Chloe Zhao would win, and Chloe Zhao did win for her movie Nomadland. Heck yeah, she did. And uh, again, this is uh, one of those where I was fairly confident she was going to win. It's not a huge surprise. She did an amazing job with the film. Um, you mentioned it before, uh, though, that like, you know, Chloe Zhao, uh, not only she was like, you know, she was directing this movie, but, you know, getting everyone together, you know, hiring these actual nomads and creating this movie under these odd circumstances and creating something that is truly magnificent, even though it didn't uh, really um, hit the spot for me is uh yeah, it's, it's great. And again, she definitely deserved that award. For sure. And the final award, the holy grail of arguably, I guess maybe I'm in the minority on this one, but the, the most important award of the Oscars, Best Picture. The nominees, just to go briefly through them, were The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And the winner for Best Picture for the year 2021, the 93rd annual Academy Awards was Nomadland, which was seemed to be predicted across again the industry. Mm-hmm. We predicted it as well. Not that we're in this in 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 the industry at all. We're deep in the industry, baby. We're ingrained in the industry, and that's why we knew. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it seemed like that was in the cards, so that wasn't too big of a surprise, arguably. Yeah, but yeah. The Oscars were were fun. Were fun. I just again. Said it before, say it again. What the heck was going on with the ending? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, we'll wait till tomorrow until they pick that to pick. What's that apart the deal point. with the ending of the Oscars? Are you are you seriously baiting me to do a Jerry Seinfeld? Impre- are you? Is this the same Adrian? I can't see you, Adrian, because we're doing this remotely. But maybe maybe this isn't Adrian. Is this Melissa McCarthy? Surprise! It's me, Melissa, again. The world's greatest actor, two-time Academy it. Award winner. Adrian would never ask me to. Uh, it's he would true. never ask me to do a Jerry Seinfeld impression. That's ridiculous. Exactly, me, Melissa McCarthy, making the, another cameo on the Oscars episode. That's what I'm here for. Anyways, I'm leaving. I'm switching back over to Adrian. What's the deal with Melissa McCarthy's performances? She's so great at acting. That's the last time I do that for a little while. Ever, forever. Well, yeah, well. You never know, Adrian. You never know. Gosh darn buffoon. Anyways, Simon, so uh, with that, I will give the um, numbers. Okay. The numbers to determine which one of us predicted more of the 2021 Oscar winners. Oh, my God. I just deleted the fucking note that I had the numbers written down. Are you joking? I'm not joking. I literally deleted it. Don't worry. I remember. Okay. I won 12. I got 12 of my predictions correct. Okay. Those 12 predictions you also predicted. And then you also predicted four different predictions that I didn't predict. Oh. And those four predictions were predicted correctly. 
Well, yeah. So you ended with 16, whereas I ended with 12. Well done. Well done on your predictions. I I, I appreciate you playing this game and uh, better luck next year, Adrian. Better luck next year. Better luck next year, man. Who knows? Hopefully I can predict better than you can predict next year. Yeah. I predict that next year I will predict better than you. Is that so? Mm-hmm. Well, I predict that you're wrong and that I will once again prevail and have the majority of the project- predictions correct for next year. Anyways, I'm predicting that your prediction is absolutely delusional. You're you're freaking out of your mind, man. You're, you're goddamn out of your mind. Well, I predict that you're a great friend, Adrian, and that, oh. you know what? I thank you. I thank you once again for 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 indulging me with these predictions. For, for indulging me to make these predictions so that I could predict that you're a great friend and that we can continue to number two. What do you think? You know what? Yeah, yeah. I, I could have never predicted that you would have said something like that, and I appreciate that. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, you was it almost as unpredictable as the plot in Promising Young Woman? Almost as unpredictable as the plot in Promising Young Woman. A phenomenal movie. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Indeed. All right, moving on. Number two. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Amazon's first season of their Lord of the Rings TV show will reportedly cost a record-breaking $465 million. This total does include the price that Amazon paid to acquire the rights to Tolkien's property, which was a massive $250 million. Notably, many of the costs are based upon built sets and costumes that are planned for reuse in many future seasons. As a result of the series being shot in New Zealand, Amazon qualifies for a New Zealand tax rebate of 114 million US dollars, which is argued to be an investment in fueling future New Zealand tourism. The series is set to take place in Middle-earth's second age, thousands of years prior to the events of both Tolkien's The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings novels, and is planned for a premiere sometime in 2021. Adrian, what are you thinking about this series from Amazon? It's expensive as heck. Holy. And I can't remember. Are you a big fan of Lord of the Rings? Um, No, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I like it. I've watched the movies like once when I was younger, but uh, I haven't gone back to them in many, many years. Oh, I do plan to probably go back and watch the extended cuts before the show comes out. I feel like maybe we could do like a little um, Lord of the Rings extravaganza prior to the release of this series. Possibly, maybe. Who knows if we remember. Um, But yeah, I'm not I'm not really attached to the Lord of the Rings. How about you, man? I love the Lord of the Rings. Honestly, Uh, my family made a habit of it, mostly based on the fueling of my brother just because he's a huge fan of the books and and the Hobbit and uh, of the Lord of the Rings books and and the Hobbit. And he, every year that one of the movies would come out, I'm pretty sure he went to see the advanced screening. And then afterwards we would go as a family on boxing day to watch the movie as a tradition, like almost like a family tradition for those three years to watch fellowship of the ring, the two towers and uh, Return of the King for the subsequent years. And it was like, a, again, a Boxing Day tradition. And it almost felt missing the next years because there just weren't any Lord of the Rings movies to go see. And I think one year we went to go see a James Bond film or I think we saw Les Miserables. But it just kind of didn't feel the same because we were so used to seeing Lord of the Rings for those three years. It was, it's honestly a pretty fond memory. Uh, and then my brother, he bought all of the extended cuts, of course. And so we watched all of the extended cuts at one point back to back to back. It went from like the morning to the evening. It was a, that was a great event. I think that might've been on boxing day or at some point we again, set aside time. And he even scheduled a meal schedule of when he was going <laughs> to order some kind of food. I can't remember what he ordered. Like it's like Mr. Greek, one of the, like a, gr- a Greek restaurant so that we would, you know, 
He knew exactly when to order it based on where the movies ended and he planned it out perfectly. Anyway, it's a fond memory for me and I love the series. I just didn't like The Hobbit too much. I feel like they stretched it out pretty badly. Like I don't think that they needed three movies. I think two actually could have been warranted, but they added so much extra content into The Hobbit movies that I feel like they were just milking it and it felt that way and I'm unfortunately I'm not a big fan of of The Hobbit. But then mm. again, this isn't being really made by the same team of producers, or at least it's not being made by Peter Jackson, who did a great job, by the way, a great job with Lord of the Rings. So I am very interested to see what this series does. What do you think about the price, though? That's unbelievable, man. I know it does take into account of like acquiring the rights to the property and everything like that. But even then, like I think Lord, sorry, Game of Thrones, its final season, I think each episode costed about what? $10 $10 million, give or take a bit? I think they were averaging for the last season between 15 and $20 million, actually. I think oh. this is the maximum. They were they were around 18 or something like that. They they For the last season only, they spent a lot more because yeah. of the big battles. Yeah, and that was what? Six episodes, seven episodes, however long it was. So, yeah, I think the most expensive season of Game of Thrones was about $100 million. So put that into perspective. Again, $465 million to make this first season of <laughs> the Lord of the Rings show. Yeah, and even let like let's assume that let's not count the two hundred and fifty million dollar like acquisition cost. That's still two hundred and fifteen million dollars. That's so much money. It's inconceivable. It's it, I, yeah. This better be the best goddamn looking show ever created ever. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I feel like Amazon, like Prime Video, they've been really looking to get really high quality original content that's going to bring in viewers. I think their first big success was probably the boys. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm hoping Invincible does that to a bunch of people. But I think this definitely like the Lord of the Rings TV show is going to be that one must have like, oh, I have to have an Amazon Prime like video service to watch the show. I think it's I think Lord of the Rings is mainstream enough. I think even people that aren't hugely into Lord of the Rings like myself, I'm definitely intrigued and I'm wanting to watch this show once it comes out. I'll probably watch it with like my mom or something because she's a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I'm 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 super intrigued about this. And uh, again, if you're spending that much kind of money, like you have to be confident in the product that you're going to release. And I imagine that they're very confident that this is going to rock. Imagine if this sucks. Like imagine if this show comes out and just is is awful and they spent that much money on it. That would be like the biggest bomb of all time. It would be. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I hope it, I really am hoping for the best on this one. One of the interesting things too, is the fact that the actors who are hired on for this are relatively unknown. Like they're, none of them are big name actors. It's not like you hired Sean Bean as an example. Like Sean Bean's fairly big. He was hired on and cast in Game of Thrones. And it wasn't just Sean Bean. They had other actors in Game of Thrones that were relatively known. They had been in, in many other films. In contrast, if you look at the cast list for the Lord of the Rings TV series, I don't know any of these actors that have been in a big film. Some of them have been in Game of Thrones, like they're Game of Thrones alumni, which is pretty cool. But other than that, like it's almost all unrecognizable, which only I'm only saying this and I like that they've done this actually because they can make big stars out of these actors. These actors are probably great. I'm just saying that they didn't spend the money on the cast. So yeah, they spent it on everything else. Yeah, which is crazy because, again, mm. the, the episodes cost a tremendous amount. Like The Mandalorian cost about $15 million per episode. I'm just looking at some of these listings here approximately. This is 
Uh, this is based on Screen Rant, so I'm not sure how accurate this is. But um, Disney Plus Marvel TV shows cost $25 million per episode, which makes sense because Falcon and the Winter Soldier apparently was very expensive to make. It's basically just a, a six-hour movie again. So again, this is the most expensive TV show like ever by like a long, like a large margin. So I'm intrigued. I'm definitely looking forward to this. This is somehow planned for 2021, and I, I have no idea when because they didn't announce any kind of announce like a premiere date um, or they didn't release a trailer or anything yet. So yeah, super excited for this. Super curious how well this is going to do. Mm-hmm. Have they finished recording? Do you know? I don't think they finished production. Oh no. I don't believe they did. I didn't. I mean, I was, I'm constantly scouring the news every week to see what's new in the industry for our segment, like the news segment. And I, I did not see anything about them being finished production. I could have missed it though. If you noticed it, viewer, listener, write into us, splitfocuspodcast.gmail.com. Let me know that they've finished production. I just missed that in the headlines if they have. Hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. Number three, as reported by website Variety, Marvel's film Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will officially premiere on September 3rd, 2021. As you might have expected, the film had been pushed back multiple times due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but alongside the recent exciting release of Marvel's first trailer for Shang-Chi, a new September 3rd premiere date has also been projected by Disney. Shang-Chi will star Kim's convenience actor, Simo Liu, as the titular character, with the farewell actor Aquafina and hero actor Tony Leung rounding out the cast. The Just Mercy film director Destin Daniel Cretton is Disney's chosen vessel to kickstart the collision of Shang-Chi's world of martial arts with the ever-expanding Marvel Cinematic Universe. Adrian, thoughts on Shang-Chi and the trailer that just came out? Um, I think this looks freaking awesome. I don't know about you, but this looks like a absolute blast of a time. The, the fight choreography in the trailer itself already has me excited. It seems very different. Um, in terms of like the type of combat that we're used to seeing in the MCU, far more, I guess, like Kung Fu based, karate based. I'm not too sure exactly. I, I don't want to butcher it um, or be ignorant about the type of like martial arts he's using, but it it Kung looks it, it is Kung Fu. Cool. Um, so the Kung Fu that he's using, it, it looks really awesome. And I, I get very excited. If, uh, one thing that I thought was super cute is that this w- when they revealed the trailer, it was kind of a surprise drop. It was Simulu's birthday. He was allowed to post the poster of the movie and said, like, see you guys in a few weeks for the um, drop of the trailer. And within an hour, Marvel dropped the trailer. And in the post, they said, happy birthday, uh, Simulu. This one's for you or something like that, um, which That's I thought great. was. Yeah, I just thought that was adorable. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, like the way like he was reacting to it was. You, you can obviously tell that this guy's super excited to be a part of this MCU. And it's 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 hilarious because when they were casting for this movie, uh, Simu Liu uh, sent out like a tweet months before saying that uh, like ta- like messaging Marvel be like, hey, Marvel, like cast me in this movie. And then I want to say it was like six months later. He actually was cast in it, which I think is super funny as well. Like, he's obviously dedicated. He's excited to be a part of this universe. And I'm I'm excited to see him in it. Um, the additional cast of Aquafina, I mentioned before, I really like Aquafina. I think she's a phenomenal actress, especially in the farewell. It really kind of showed a different side of her. That's not like a comedic role. And, um, uh, again, I- I'm excited to see her in this as well. What did you think of the trailer? Ah, uh, I think it's awesome. 
I'm very excited for this. I I just want to see a Marvel movie again, but I think that they've they've done something really good with this. If the trailer is any indication, I mean, mm. trailers can be deceiving. I'm a little worried about the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I feel like it's branching out a little too recklessly in that I did just talk about how I like Captain Falcon and the Winter Man, like the TV series on Disney+. And I did mention that I like WandaVision, but I feel like it didn't necessarily do everything right, either of them. And Marvel movies have typically almost always done everything right or almost everything right. They have a very, very strong track record. They've gotten almost better and better. And I'm just a little worried about the universe because they're kind of almost restarting it. Not not completely, but I mean, that phase is very much over. The Infinity Saga is done and they've got to rebuild this now and rebuild another team of Avengers potentially. And this trailer is really hopeful for that. I feel like this is really exciting because this trailer looks great. And I'm very excited to see Simu Liu in this, inhabiting this character. And Aquafina. I didn't know she was in this. I maybe missed something, but I'm very excited to see Aquafina in a Marvel movie. That's also fantastic. So this is going to be really cool if they can stick the landing on this one. Mm-hmm. Aquafina is really cool as well is because uh, she was most recently in uh, Raya and the Last Dragon as well. She plays the dragon in that movie. Yeah. So now she's not only in the Disney animated universe, she's now in MCU. Who knows? Maybe we'll see her in a Star Wars property at some point. And then she'll complete the trifecta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exciting. Like only one person before her. I don't know if it's still only one. Are you thinking of who I'm thinking of? Yeah. Like Ming-Na Wen? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she got an award at a Disney event because she specifically was in all three. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she was in The Mandalorian, and of course, she's Mulan. So because she was in all three universes, she got some. She got awarded something at a Disney. I can't remember. It might have been D23. I know that Kenneth Saddlebauer, if he's listening to this, will will know the answer to that. But yeah, it was pretty cool when she won that. Yeah. I. She played Mulan, mind you, not Pulan. I just want to clarify. The, she Yeah, she voiced Mulan in the animated movie years ago. Mm-hmm. She's also, she kicks ass in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, she's fantastic as the cavalry. She kicks ass in the Mandalorian as well. She does, yeah. She kicks ass in everything, pretty mm-hmm. much. As Mulan as well, although that's an animated character. I was more like, her physicality seems to be... I don't know what her background might have been before, but she just does a really great job with fight choreography, apparently, and her acting top-notch as well. So I loved seeing her and everything. But anyway, yeah, I'm excited to see this movie. I, I, I thought that the, the use of music in this trailer was fantastic as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm very excited to see where Shang-Chi will play off of like somebody like Falcon mm-hmm. or Winter Soldier. Like seeing those kind of those characters meet or Black Panther. I know that's actually kind of a weird subject because now we don't know what that universe is going to be like. Yeah, because of Chadwick Boseman. But it, well, again, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I'm very curious. I don't know what Kevin Feige has planned for this next phase. And it seems like they're oh, very, again, very muted. It's like DC's time to shine or something because they, you're letting them kind of swoop in a little bit. I don't think DC will stick the landing almost guaranteed <laughs> based mm-hmm. on their track record. But again, I just I hope we can have another phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is better than the, the last two. Or is it last three? I'm not really sure. But better than the Infinity Saga. If they could top that, they'd be legends. They're already legends at this point. Kevin Feige and his team and all of the directors and actors who have co- composed this masterwork that is the infinity saga if they could top that somehow 
honestly, it would be incredible. Yeah, I, I almost feel like there's nowhere to go but down because of how amazing the Infinity Saga was. So if they if they can top it, like, oh boy. Yeah. The one thing I was I should have said as well, just as a correction for the Captain Falcon and the Winterman or whatever, Falcon and the Winter Soldier show is that it, it wasn't perfect. I just want to make that clear. I, I, I think that I'm hoping that they look at that series, they look at the reviews and they realize what they've done wrong. And they course correct. This is the most important thing about the fact that it wasn't the greatest. It's slight slip ups in some aspects of the show. And that's the thing I was I'm most worried about. I feel like they saw Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 as or, or even Dar- Thor the Dark World as possible slip ups. And they course corrected with Taika Waititi as an example, taking the range for Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok. So taking the Captain America series or movies or whatever they end up doing forward. Just hopefully they're looking at what they've done wrong or what's considered to be kind of off the brand of what Marvel has led to so far and how they actually fix it is the, the most important thing in my mind. But mm-hmm. I agree. Cool. Okay. Now on to the montage, a sequence of our show in which I briefly present the week's smaller news stories as Adrian delivers a brisk verdict. Number one. As Publication Variety reports, season four of Netflix's Castlevania TV series will officially be its last. Unofficially, there are currently rumblings of Netflix developing a spin-off series set in the Castlevania universe. Man, I can't wait for this last season. I'm, I'm disappointed that it is the last season, but this show is really damn good. I can't recommend it enough. Comes out in May, season four. Number two, as website Deadline reports, actor Dominic Purcell has announced on Twitter that he's leaving the CW's DC show Legends of Tomorrow after previously stating that he'd be sticking around for season seven. And this is him leaving before the premiere of season six that he's still in. Number three, as website The Verge reports, Game of Thrones actor Amelia Clark and the father actor Olivia Colman are both in talks to star in the Samuel L. Jackson starring Disney Plus Marvel series, Secret Invasion. Ooh, these are a couple of good gets. Number four, as website Collider reports, IT director Andy Muschietti's Flash movie starring Ezra Miller has officially begun production. I literally cannot believe that. I refuse to believe it. Number five. As The Hollywood Reporter notes, Fast and Furious actor Vin Diesel has been cast in a film based upon the tabletop robot boxing game Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Wasn't there a movie called like Real Steel that's essentially this? With like Hugh Jackman? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. And yet, here we are. Hmm. You get a, you know, ride the fame of the movie Battleship with Liam Neeson. Mm -hmm. Number six, as announced during Apple's Spring Forward product reveal event, the Jason Sudeikis starring Apple TV Plus original Ted Lasso will premiere its second season on July 23rd, 2021. Hell the hell yeah, baby. I am all in for this. This is a smart move because I'm pretty sure the Apple TV Plus free subscription is ending just before the release of this. Mm. And they're smart to do that because I am going to resubscribe for Ted Lasso. Me, Adrian Pinter, will resubscribe to Apple TV Plus for Ted Lasso. Number seven, as reported by Publication Entertainment Weekly, actor Russell Crowe revealed on an Australian radio show that he would be playing Greek god Zeus in Marvel's Thor God and Thunder. Oh my goodness, I heard Kratos is gonna be in this one. Number eight, as Variety reports, Lizzie McGuire actress, Hilary Duff has been cast in the How I Met Your Mother spinoff series, How I Met Your Father, for Disney's streaming service, Hulu. So this is pretty crazy. I just want to give a quick background. How I Met Your Father was actually planned to come out 
many years ago, shortly after How I Met Your Mother's finish, but the pilot got canned. It wasn't, it, it didn't get picked up. So this is, I guess, the second attempt to revive this How I Met Your Mother spin-off series, How I Met Your Father. And I think Hilary Duff is a great choice. She's awesome in Lizzie McGuire. I'm a big fan of her. Number nine. As reported by Variety, Aziz Ansari's highly regarded Netflix TV series Master of None is finally getting a third season that will launch in May of this year. This is arguably the nicest surprise of 2021. Master of None is a genuinely amazing TV series that I recommend to absolutely everyone to watch on Netflix. It is so good and I am so happy that we are getting a third season because up until this point, we weren't supposed to. Yeah, and it's so soon too. Number 10, according to Deadline, Sony Pictures has hired on Legend of Korra art director Joaquim Dos Santos, One Night in Miami screenwriter Kemp Power, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse production designer Justin Thompson as the directing trio behind the upcoming animated sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is a this is a really good trio of people, it seems. It is unfortunate that we aren't getting Lord and Miller back for this, but hey, maybe they're on to do bigger and better things. Maybe. And that concludes the montage. Wow. What do you got for me, Adrian? What do you got? Well, I got new releases for you. Oh. Yeah, baby. This is for the week of Monday, April the 26th to Sunday, May the 2nd. That is seven days, I'm pretty sure. Um, and there's not too many movies coming out this week. There's a, a, a few like limited release movies, but nothing that we can kind of get wide. So I left those off the list. Anyways, I'm going to get right to it. The first movie that's coming out is coming out on Wednesday, April the 28th. It's a movie called Get the Grift. This is a Netflix original movie, and it's about foster siblings that find out they have to work together to get themselves out of the trouble that they themselves put themselves in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The next movie coming out is a movie coming out on Thursday, April the 29th, and it's a movie called Things Heard and Seen. It's another Netflix original movie, and it's about a woman who realizes her husband and the new home that they just moved into are filled with sinister secrets after leaving the big city for tiny town life. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Eerie. The next movies are all coming out on Friday, April the 30th. And the first one that I'm going to start off with is a movie called The Disciple. This is another Netflix original movie, and it's about a classical vocalist in his road to mastery. And he deals with a bunch of self-doubt on his journey. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. The next movie that is coming out is a movie called The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's a Netflix animated adventure about a weirdo family that stops a robo-ocalypse in this fun movie that's animated and an adventure. Interesting. Yes. Uh, and then another movie that's coming out, this time on Prime Video, and it's called Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. And it stars Michael B. Jordan in this action movie about CIA agents, espionage, the Russian mob, etc. That one's interesting. I was kind of curious about that one. I just don't know if it's going to be any good. Yeah, me neither. Michael B. Jordan's a really good actor. He is. Like, I love seeing him and stuff. So, like, he he kind of draws me into some some movies, but uh, I doubt I'm going to watch that. Yeah. That's There's just, like, other action movies that I'd rather watch. Yeah. Like, am I going to watch something? I'm going to watch the Bourne movies or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You still haven't seen those, I assume. No. Maybe I'll watch one of them tonight. Who knows? The next movie that's coming out on this list is a 
is is called ooh I wrote down Goldman Arm. I'm pretty sure it's Golden Arm. I'm like 99 percent <laughs> sure it's Golden Arm. Goldman Arm. And it's kind of I. It's this it is ironic that I wrote down Goldman Arm because it's a movie about a women's arm wrestling tournament. This was confirmed by Movie Insider and Apple TV app for a video on demand rental. So yeah, yeah. Pretty sure it's Golden Arm. Anyways, the next movie that's coming out is a movie called Three Pints and a Rabbi. This is confirmed by me. It Moon. is. I can confirm. It is Golden Arm, just so we're clear. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you so oh, wait, much. Is that... Hold on. Hold on. Holding. Hold on. Holding. Hold on. No, I thought I recognized an actor in this, but I'm, I'm mistaken. Holding. Never mind. Carry on. Okay, carrying three pints and a rabbi is the next movie on this list. And this is confirmed by Movie Insider and the Apple TV app. And it's about three strangers who wake up in a bar with a dead woman and a story of a rabid dog in the streets. Did the dog kill the woman or one of them? Question mark. Huh? Yeah. It's like a, what about the, it's a whodunit. What about the rabbi? I don't know. I don't know. The, the, I, I don't know. I don't know where the rabbi comes into this. Okay. And I'm pretty certain those three people aren't pints of beer. I'm pretty certain about that. Yeah, okay. The Resort is the next movie coming out on this list, and this is confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet, m.the-numbers.com and the Apple TV app. This is about three friends who take their writer friend, obsessed with the paranormal, to an abandoned Hawaii resort for her birthday. And there, they are haunted by the half-faced girl that haunts this abandoned Hawaii resort. And now her friends, this writer girl's friends, all her friends are disappearing where are they going? Are they dead? What's happening to her? Will she die by the end of this movie? Is the half-faced girl just misunderstood? Is she a is she a bad ghost? Is she is she is she here to haunt and kill people? Why is she doing does, these bad things? Does she just want plastic surgery? It's possible. Maybe they'll bring in Mark Sloan, one of the main characters in the Grey's Anatomy TV series. He works in plastics. Or maybe they'll bring in either John Travolta or Nicolas Cage, and maybe it was because of a pro- improper face-off surgery that they must now put Nicolas Cage's face back onto this girl who is actually Nicolas Cage the entire time. I've never watched Face Off. I don't know if you noticed this, but I don't actually know what that movie's about. Yeah, I never pretty sure people switch their face. I think they swap their face. Mm. I think it's John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. They swap faces. I think that's the, the plot. Anyway, I just ran with that. Or they bring in Dr. Avery from the hit show Grey's Anatomy that worked under Mark Sloan and was trained in the area of plastics. You really like Grey's Anatomy. It's a good show, man. I'm really loving it, honestly. Yeah. Anyways, the last movie on this list that's coming out is a movie called Limbo. You ever play that game, Limbo? Uh, were you... Yeah, it's like a... It's a game It's like haunted, where it's like a little man, he's walking along in the dark. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. No, I wasn't referring to the video game Limbo, which apparently is really good. That was an incredible, incredibly vague and specific reference that people probably wouldn't have recognized. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I know what you're talking about. We're talking about Limbo where you, you you go underneath the stick. Someone holds a stick and you try and go underneath it, but you have to go underneath it with your face up. Yeah. And and people and are yelling. Underneath. And you people can't go. Yeah. And people are going like Limbo, Limbo, Limbo. Limbo, limbo, limbo. Ha. Ah, right? Is that actually the, is that it? I don't know, man. It doesn't matter. Do they actually say limbo, limbo, limbo? Did you make that up? Because I'm actually not sure. I feel like they do say it, but I'll be honest. I haven't played limbo since I was a wee child. Limbo, 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 ha. Yeah. Are you sure? 
That seems right. That seems right. That seems right. I'm not sure. I'm I am far from sure. Well, where'd you get that from then? I don't know. It was just in my memory banks. Okay, maybe it's true. Yeah. I just don't remember it. Yeah, me neither. Dude, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Anyways, this movie Limbo. Uh, this is confirmed by Movie Insider in the Cineplex application. Um, it's coming out to theaters. It's about a fictional story of refugees that dives into the hardships that refugees face in real life. So by telling this fictional tale, they're able to encapsulate the real life stories of refugees. Wow, that was darker than I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be. Yeah, and that's the last movie on the list, baby. That's the last movie on the list. Oh, man, we really, really, that was the one we decided to really go all out and talk about nonsense for, wasn't it? No, no, we talked nonsense about the resort and the half-face girl. In Limbo. About how? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we did. I forgot about that conversation that we had for a minute, a minute ago. Is there something wrong with you that you can you can never remember anything about Limbo? It's like it's it's struck from your memory. Did you have like a like a bad childhood experience with Limbo? I had a freak Limbo accident. <laughs> a vertebrae got popped out <laughs> yeah. while you were limboing. Mm-hmm. You know me. I got back problems. I've spoken Did about you? it. Yeah. Oh, I mentioned it I on the podcast. Yeah. But my lower back? And you, well, of course, it would have to have been on the podcast. Yeah, you've even said, like, you mentioned this, like, 18 podcasts ago, is what you said. At one of the episodes. About the back? Yes. Problem? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, then. Damn. Do you got some sort of memory problems in relation to backs, Simon? Where you just, did you have a bad back experience in your childhood? So now you just cut out all backstories? Backstories. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good, but it wasn't. I feel like it didn't land as well as the backstory thing was funny, but it, why would I have forgotten all things about backs? <laughs> that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely ridiculous. That's the point. Although Limbo has a strong connection to backs being bent, and I did forget about Limbo. So wait, did we just uncover something? This is like therapy. Yeah, I saw a meme. Um, the other day, it was like, why do like 20 something year old dudes start podcasts? Just go to therapy. And I went, Yeah, no therapy is as good as spending time with my best pal Simon talking about movies. Oh, it's the only time we talk. It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's fair. We're talking to the void, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Hi there, boy. No one but the people in New Zealand are listening to this. I know, dude. I'm, I'm happy that I'm this, we're the second most popular podcast in New Zealand. But they got to up their population count there because even though we're the second most popular podcast there, it's like, what, two people listening to it, give or take? It's like half the population of New Zealand. <laughs> I don't think the population is that low in New Zealand. Mm. Although that would explain why their COVID response is so fantastic, honestly. Yeah, they, they literally just have to call. They can just do a conference call with the four people in New Zealand and they're good. Yeah, they're like, the prime minister is one of the four. And yeah. she's like, hey, Jim, Bob, and Sue, don't go outside. They're like, yes, yes, Prime Minister, of course. And they just yeah. cooperate. If only. If only. Yeah, that, that would be incredible. But it doesn't have to be that incredible. They have a much larger population, and they somehow did beat this thing. So good on them. But anyways, let's move on, shall we? Yeah, let's do it, man. Before we move on, actually, thank you again for composing this list of the movies that are coming out this, this list this week. The movies that are coming out this week. I appreciate your efforts. You're a good man, Adrian. You're a good man. 
No worries. You know I love putting weeks together for the list. That's right. That's right. Now, let's reach into the mailbag for a moment here, shall we? We ask our listeners to write into us with comments, questions, and corrections by way of Twitter or by email to splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. And my brother Oliver wrote into us, and he said, Would you gents rather see a remake revision of the last season of Game of Thrones or redo the Mulan movie with singing and add Matthew McConaughey in in some capacity or have a David Fincher version of a SpongeBob SquarePants movie? Signed, Oliver. Hmm. Adrian, what do you what do you make of this? Well, Simon, I think this is an easy one. I think this is a very easy question to answer. Is it? Yeah. Isn't it obvious? I redo the Mulan movie, add singing, and Matthew McConaughey is Mushu. Boom. Boom. It's a multi-million dollar property right there. Multi-billion dollar property right there. Knocked it out of the park, baby. That's what we need. There's a there's a slight issue with adding Matthew McConaughey in the Mulan movie in this day and age. Can you think of what it is? Oh, I get yeah, because he's replacing a black actor. Well, it's also an extremely like well, I, I shouldn't even say diverse. It's not really that, that diverse, but it's diverse in an industry that is predominantly white. I'm I'm talking the cast, of course. Mm. I do wonder about the problems with that and whether that's worth it. Just well, cast feel Eddie Murphy again. You could cast Eddie Murphy, but just I mean to be fair, like Mushu is a f- red dragon. He has an, he has no relation to any race. So yeah, you are replacing a black actor with a with a white actor for the same character, but this character was not black or white or whatever. And realistically, Matthew McConaughey in that case would be the diversity hire because the cast is majority Asian. I think, I don't know, you're looking at diversity hires. You usually look at the grand scheme of the industry potentially as well. But mm. yeah, that's that's fair. I don't mm. know. I, I think I would cast, yeah, it's a good question. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I don't think it matters that much, but I wonder if, I, I'm sure people would be up in arms about it. Probably because they're, I mean, th- there's always a select number of people, like a small number of people that are just vocal about things that piss them off. When in reality, it's like maybe like six people. It's like, oh my God, look at this amazing Twitter thread about people being upset about this. And it's like two people going back and forth. The thing, the other thing about Matthew McConaughey though, honestly, just, just put race and diversity aside. Like he's not extremely high energy. Like he kind of is like, he's got this high energy. It seems like built up inside him, but there's not a role that he's like, as high energy or as like fast talking as Eddie Murphy is in anything. Mm. You know what I mean? So would that kind of just completely change the dynamic of the Mushu character? And is that a good thing? It might. I don't know. I don't, I, I wouldn't, that's not my choice for Mushu. If I was going to choose somebody to play Mushu in a Mulan live action film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting one. I would definitely pick C. I think David Fincher directing a SpongeBob movie. David Fincher. Actually, I don't really care about the problem is I don't care about SpongeBob SquarePants pants panks. SpongeBob spare square square hanks. What the fuck? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I keep saying weird words that aren't related to this. I started with title screen and now we're at SpongeBob Square Hanks, as in like Tom Tom Hanks. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm off the rails. I, I don't really care about a season of game, like the remake of the last season of Game of Thrones because I thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, like I'm like it could be better. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like if they were like, "Hey, we're just remaking the last season. We're gonna we're gonna extend it a bit and add add extra content and adjust the ending," I'd be like, "Okay, cool, I guess." Um, 
I wouldn't be like super I stoked for it. I like I I can see an argument for it to be remade, but again, I I I'm in the same boat. I I think it's the worst season, but it's not awful. It's fine. It's fine for an otherwise amazing show. Yeah. Does that mean they retcon it though? Like I guess so, right? That's the only way. Like they're not adding to it. They're just retconning this. I, I just wouldn't do that. I just don't care. It's over and it wasn't the worst ending in a show. Like it just it isn't that bad. People got up in arms about it, but honestly, it won awards and it, it was actually not terrible. It's just they just made some weird choices and it felt rushed ultimately. Yeah. There is one of the best episodes of the series in that show, arguably. Um in Winterfell, if you know what I, if you catch my drift there, Adrian. Yeah, it's the second episode of that season. It's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't really care about that one. And then again, I didn't watch SpongeBob. I feel like if David Fincher was making a version of SpongeBob SquarePants like as a live action movie, I feel like I would maybe watch SpongeBob SquarePants because I'd, I'd be like, whoa, David Fincher, why is he doing this? And I'm a fa- fan of him. So I'd probably watch that. But I'd also have to watch like a, like to, to get excited for it, I'd have to watch SpongeBob SquarePants, the animated, like the original animated TV show. I just don't know what David Fincher would do with that property because it like it, that property does not lend to his style of filmmaking. I just well, that's don't... the thing. And the fact that he would have taken this project on at all means that he would have some kind of grand plan, no? Mm, yeah, I guess so. He just decides to make his first like kids movie. And I don't know, like there's amazing kids movies out there. Like Paddington, as an example, is one of the greatest movies ever. Paddington 2 as well. Like I, I can make that argument that it is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, so who knows yeah. what David Fincher could do with SpongeBob SquarePants? Um, I love SpongeBob. I think it's hilarious. I, I, it, I have a lot of nostalgia for that series. I haven't watched any of the later seasons. I used to watch it all the time on YTV when I was a kid. Um, and I feel like a lot of my sense of humor is 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 probably from SpongeBob. As ridiculous as that may seem, it shaped a lot of my uh, like my humor. Um, so I'd be intrigued about it, but that's probably my last choice. I'll be honest with you. I just, I, I don't know what the hell you do with it. And I, maybe my cur- curiosity would, uh, make the better or yeah. I mean, my curiosity would make me want to watch it, but I don't know. Honestly, I think I choose the one you chose, which is redo the Mulan movie with singing and add Matthew McConaughey in some capacity only because it's like process of elimination. I'm not sure I like any of these. <laughs> I, I don't think it's seriously i don't think it's meant to be an easy choice however it was it's like which one which one of these terrible choices do i want to happen the game of thrones one though the game of thrones one people want that i'm kind of curious actually i almost want oliver to write into us about why he didn't like or did like season eight of game of thrones i'd love to hear that actually oliver write into us let us know what you thought of the final season of game of thrones and which of these three choices you would choose? Also, yeah, that's that's what I want to hear. Yeah. Also, what do you think of the Last Jedi? Write that into us. Yeah, <laughs> but don't. Yeah, while you're at it, no, no, it's, let's keep it simple. We don't want them to, you know, get intimidated and not write into us. So just write into us with those two questions. Yeah, please do. You know what we Jedi. haven't done in a while? What? Rise of Skywalker is a bad movie. It is. It's a rough movie. I don't like it. It's not a good movie. Not good. I wish someone would write into us to argue that it is a good movie. I'd love to have that debate with that person. Mm. One of my really good friends, Andrash, uh, his favorite movie in the sequel trilogy is Rise of the Skywalker. No way. And I just don't get it. I remember we like sat and talked about it one day and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? He should write uh, into us. Write him up. Tell him yeah. to write into us. I should have a message. I'd be like, explain to me why 
Rise of Skywalker is the best of the uh, of the trilogy. It just doesn't make sense to me. His favorite movie, his favorite Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith, which is a fair one, I guess. Also odd, but okay. Yeah, I, I really love Revenge of the Sith, but nowhere near my favorite. You know what I'm saying? What's his second favorite then? Rise mm, of Skywalker. That would be devastating. Uh, I, I don't, I don't remember. I'll be honest with you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Oliver, for writing into us. I appreciate this ridiculous. <laughs> I appreciate this ridiculous question. I loved it. Um, and I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. It was a, it was a fun conversation. But I again, I invite anybody to write into us at splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. I invite you all out there to, you know, to like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you know, maybe join us to liking us on Facebook, maybe on Twitter, perhaps. We're, we're mm-hmm. everywhere. And we're going to continue to release episodes every Monday of every week for the foreseeable future. So I ask you to subscribe. And maybe you'll uh, you'll hear something entertaining. Maybe. And maybe one day you'll write into us. Leave a review. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts because apparently that helps. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell everyone. Yeah. Apple just released. Uh, they just said that they're they're allowing for subscriptions for podcasting. We're not doing that. We're free. We're free on Apple Podcasts. Just, just Until next it. week when we're going to start charging $15 a month. No, we're not. Yeah, it's, we're not. It's free. We're going to continue to be free. What kind of marketing is that, Adrian? Come on. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. We'll be free forever for this show. Well, I, don't say that. I don't know what that if that's true. But with only two people listening to us consistently in New Zealand to make it the number two podcast in New Zealand, mm-hmm. it's not very many people. So 50% of the population. We shouldn't scare people away with a $15 charge. Anyways, regardless... Thank you for listening to the 43rd episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and this is Adrian Pinter signing off. Hey guys, it's me, Adrian Pinter, and I'm about to sign off. And uh, we might not be worth a $15 a month subscription. But you know what is? Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman is worth a $15 subscription. This is a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. What does that mean? What do you mean? Well, how could you... What do you... What in what context would you pay fifteen dollars a month for Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice? I'm sorry, but I wouldn't do that. Would you? Yeah, I would. I would pay for a streaming service that only had Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, not even the Ultimate Cut. I'll I'll, I'll even hold back the Ultimate Cut for fifteen dollars a month, and then you can pay twenty dollars a month for the Ultimate Cut. You would not pay that. There's no way in hell. I would. I would. I'm supporting my boy Zach. Okay, we'll just leave it there, I guess. Take care, guys. Goodbye. Take care. Goodbye. Hopefully I don't have COVID. That would suck.